spaced out. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Space Out podcast produced by the Center for Astro, Particle and Planetary Physics, Capri at NYU Abu Dhabi. This is your host speaking, Moa Bess, and joining me also co-host Pavli Velunovic. The world of space research is being made more accessible to the masses by people who dedicate their careers to communicating sciences. Today we are speaking to an extraordinary individual who has published countless articles and videos on the internet to motivate new generations to grow passionate about astronomy. It's a pleasure for me to introduce Fraser Kane. Fraser Kane is a space journalist, a science communicator, and the publisher of The Universe Today, one of the most popular space and astronomy news websites on the internet that he founded in 1999 and that is read by millions of people. He is also the co-host of Astronomy Cast and co-creator of the Guest to Space video series on his YouTube channel, which has 280,000 subscribers. These videos answer burning questions that astronomy fans want to know on topics like black holes, galaxies, the universe, and the search for aliens. Fraser has been communicating and popularizing the exploration of space for almost his entire career posing a few times to co-found software companies. He's also the product manager of HeroX, a spin-off of the XPRIZE Foundation. Fraser, welcome and thank you for being with us today. Thanks for having me. First question for, for you is, how did you, you know, how did you take, how did you follow that career? How did you end up becoming who you are today? <laughs> um, well, I've always been a big fan of space and astronomy, even as a little kid. I I would watch meteor showers with my parents, watch the lunar eclipse. I learned my constellations as a, as a kid. It was either that or archaeology. I was always into dinosaurs too, but space and dinosaurs, which I feel like that's like most children. Um, and But I was fortunate because I lived in very dark, a place with very dark sky. So I was able to see like a really nice view of, of the night sky. I had books about space and astronomy i watched science fiction star trek star wars things like that and when i was um 14 i bought my first telescope and would was an amateur astronomer and i organized star parties so i was definitely going down that path of being a, an astronomer and then i went to uh, went to university and went into computer science and engineering instead of astronomy and and ended up sort of in that world for probably five or six years working for software companies developing websites and but i always had this interest on the side of doing space and astronomy and so i i was sort of in my day job and i was trying to sort of have an outlet for this thing that i loved which was space and astronomy so i said well i want to i want to learn more about what the modern what's happening in in astronomy and so i built a website on the side and just started to maintain it and i would say within about six months i was like okay this is all i want to do with the rest of my life i just have to figure out how to turn this website that i do on the side into an actual job and it was many years after that until i was able to actually make a full-time go of it and that's yeah 20 two years ago now yeah, i mean i guess the the website that you created was i i'm not i i can't say it's the first but i think it was one of the first i guess that is you know purely related to astronomy sharing astronomy news i mean we're talking about 1999 if you go now on on the internet like you'll find hundreds 
hundreds and thousands of, of, of websites and, you know, social media pages trying to, yeah, to talk about that. So you mentioned dinosaurs, your interest in dinosaurs and space. And, you know, if you think about it, like, these could be two enemies. Uh, is it true that <laughs> were the dinosaurs wiped by an asteroid or what's up with that? Is space the natural enemy of the dinosaur? Um... <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, that's the theory, right? Is that is that 65 million years ago, a 10 kilometer sized asteroid smashed into the Yucatan Peninsula off the coast of Mexico and uh, sent up a cloud of fiery rock into space that then came back down, re-entered the atmosphere, caught the Earth's forests on fire and cooked all 98% of life on Earth, including all of the large dinosaurs all of the ocean creatures all of the large ocean uh animals it was a very bad day so yeah i think space has demonstrated that it that it really does not like dinosaurs it was not a fan of dinosaurs when it was a child <laughs> right <laughs> no but i i actually want to go back to something you said uh, i found very interesting you said that you started uh you know the uh, the science communication career, let's say, on the side, along with your job, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, how much time did it take you to, you know, let's say, write articles or to create content? Because we talked last week to um, Diana Alcindi, and she said it takes her sometimes like 10 hours to create uh, one short video. So I can imagine how difficult it was. I was, I was really fortunate um, when I was in my early 20s, I was, I was starting to learn how to write. And I met a mentor who was a professional writer. He worked for business publications and, and was also working on, on fiction and was working on screenplays and things like that. And he, it was his full-time job. And he just sat down every day and, and wrote. And for him, a normal day was you would sit down and, and you would write 5,000 words. And so if you wanted, if you know if he had agreed to write a 1000 word article then he would deliver five of them over the course of one day if you wanted a if he was going to be delivering a novel then that would be uh 20 days and so you'd probably get your novel within within a month and and so his lesson for me was learn to write fast and then that will teach you to write well because the more you write essentially the best writers are the ones who have written the most and I really took that lesson. And so I focused on, on getting very fast at writing, being able to really quickly communicate the ideas that were in my mind out into onto the page and learning to improve my skill over time. And so I'm a very fast writer. I write, you know, for me, when I write scripts, they take me about two hours to do a script for, for a video for say a, say a 15 minute video um so so just i'm not sure if i got this right so with when it comes to the newsletter like is it you writing all of the newsletter or is it like yeah those uh i read the whole oh, thing. you write the whole thing okay okay yeah yeah so i mean the, the writers do the stories that that i'm summarizing but i just sort of feel like like I'm, i want to give the whole website a voice and the newsletter is a way to kind of just tie everything together. It feels, you know, each time I write the newsletter, it feels like I'm telling a story. It's like, you know, this, you know, this week in the universe, uh, here's, here's what we discovered. And that way I can do a lot of callbacks to previous stuff and reference 
things that we're talking about and we can follow stories as they change from from week to week to week and <clears throat> and i find that as as you know as the publisher as the visionary i guess as the person who's sort of choosing what direction the website goes it feels like a nice way to kind of tie that narrative back together so so you know so far i still write the whole thing you know maybe someday i'll i'll kick the work back to the to the actual writers but uh, i really kind of enjoy that process and keeping my hands in it we enjoy we enjoy those newsletters as well uh, fraser that's for sure uh, what about reading like uh, so you spent some time writing of course and i guess you also have to read the news astronomy news what's happening yeah, in course. the world and science and there's so many websites and some are purely scientific and some are more for the public so how also do you manage this like you spend a few hours a day reading or? yeah yeah so that that's probably the biggest part of my time is looking through looking through my sources for the interesting news and so that can be journals scientific journals um archive i get a lot of stories out of archive um uh, and then conferences people are at conferences and there's interesting talks that are being given at conferences and there's a lot of interesting stories in there um, as well as i have lots and lots of of people who reach out to me and, and have interesting stories that they're working on and then all of the stuff that we miss so so if i miss it but there's some people talking about something on twitter or something on uh, on some other website, you know, that gives me a chance to sort of follow in and see if there's, if it's something that we'll want to cover as well. So yeah, that probably takes me about two hours every day of going through, looking at all of the interesting stories that are breaking this day, both the stuff that everyone's talking about, but also the stuff that nobody's talking about. Like that's the stuff that I find the most interesting is the stuff that, that nobody else has considered that it's worth reporting on. And and it's my job to 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 recognize the value and the newsworthiness in those stories and then kick that out to the to the writing team and yeah that's that's probably the biggest part of my job right now is to just stay on top of everything that's that's going on now i'm curious uh, can, can you give us like an example of i don't know uh, some news uh, from astronomy that that no that you found interesting while no one else like noticed it can you give us because i'm very curious what what like um i'll give you some examples from the last couple of days let me see um let's see so there was a great image from uh kevin gill so there's a new image from the juno spacecraft uh the raw images from juno are are uploaded to nasa's juno website and then there's a sort of a whole community of citizen astronomers who come in and take the images and process them and, and make them sort of viewable by the public and kevin gill is one of my favorites and he has a Flickr page that he maintains where he he shows off all the pictures that he's taking and the latest one that he did of of jupiter is just absolutely mind-bending just an incredible shot of like a zoomed in shot of some storms on Jupiter to the point that you can actually see these like little fluffy clouds up above the storm and it almost looks like a like a like the storm you can see how the storm layers sink down below the surface of Jupiter and so I found that image and and that's in the queue and I'm sure one of the writers will, will pick that up there was one story that I saw that was pretty great so the uh the large binocular telescope in Arizona was able to track the volcanoes on Io. And they used a, essentially the, the moon going behind 
I think it was like another moon or maybe the edge of Jupiter. And they were able to use that to track the, um, the positions of which volcanoes were erupting at the time. And nobody, nobody's been able to see that. And so the fact that Earth-based telescopes can now track the locations, because these volcanoes are changing all the time and, and astronomers can, can track this, which is pretty cool. Definitely very, very cool. And I love that you're, you know, bringing attention to these topics that otherwise maybe wouldn't, wouldn't have been covered by, you know, popular media, because I think that's very impressive. Yeah, well, it's, it's a tough thing because like when you, the way the news cycle works is that some researchers work on a paper that is that they think is scientifically interesting and then they they put it on archive or they submit it to a journal like nature or astrophysics or whatever and then some press agent at their university or at their research institution looks at their paper and goes well, this be a story. And then they write a press release and then that gets a wider audience. But it's very hit or miss about why the press agent has actually chosen this story over that story. But they, as soon as something becomes a press release, it gets amplified. But there's lots of stories that are incredibly interesting that never get amplified. And part of it is being able to parse out the title, being able to read the title and see, you know, uh, distinguishing features in the Lyman Alpha Forest at Z equals one, Z equals five, et cetera, right? That, that you have to know what that means and to be able to peer through them and go, oh, they've just discovered the most distant galaxy, right? <laughs> and that, and that is, and that's, I think, the, that's what the experience comes from is, is being able to be that bridge between the, the technical details that the astronomers are saying to talk to each other and the wider audience that is excited about the discoveries that are that are being made and and very few of those astronomers have the resources to be able to actually properly communicate the work that they're doing and and so that's i think that's that's our job this podcast is brought to you by the center for astroparticle and planetary physics cap3 at nyu abu dhabi it is produced by andrea macho Bianca Arkeen, and Moa Boss. Music by Cristobal Marianne, edited by Adil Sakaria, with the generous support of the NYUAD Interactive Media Department and NYUAD Music Instructors. The show's hosts are Moa Boss and Pavle Volanovic. Maybe I know why, you know, just few papers are selected for press releases from the universities or the research institutes because usually maybe at universities those people who are you know managing that are not scientists <laughs> they don't really know like what's the value of that paper or, or that paper so sometimes they miss some of those really nice outbreaking interesting yep. uh, papers and they shed light on yeah on others yeah, you can feel it. You can mm. feel when there's something that, that's happened that's very exciting. Like there'll be a bunch of papers that are all in the same theme. So like there's a big Gaia release and there's like 13 papers that all come out. So clearly something happened or you'll see a paper and there's a hundred people on the paper, right? Then, then what brought a hundred people together to work on something that they thought was important? So there's a lot of these, this kind of meta information that I'm able to use to, to get curious and, and dig a little more, but, but you're exactly right. I mean, it's just, you know, there is this layer in between that's attempting to communicate the work to the public that is, that is ill-equipped to do it and is busy and is trying to also communicate 
health news and um you know what's happening from the history department and so on yeah can you can you tell us uh which type of content you know when you make videos or or, or when you write articles which topics kind of get the most engagement from the audience is there any specific type um like clickbait and i tend to avoid that stuff because it sort of burns out your audience you can you can definitely get a, a quick burst of audience but over time people come to distrust and get a little frustrated by by that approach so for me it is very hit or miss i'm looking for stuff that spark my curiosity i mean literally that's that's the only way i can describe it is is something that that makes me interested that that i see all astronomy and space exploration as this story this this unfolding story and then the individual pieces of research the new discoveries the the new telescopes etc are moments in the story interesting moments in the story and some are minor characters and some are major characters and i'm able to i or i feel like like it's my job to go oh that's really cool if i if i feel that instinct that's really cool then that's a story that we want to cover on on universe today i definitely have the kinds of stories that i'm most interested in and and this and the website leans in that direction for sure like i'm most interested in in people coming up with clever solutions to tricky problems that's like if i was to like boil down what i love the most it's like there's this great idea for putting a telescope on the far side of the moon there's this amazing idea for combining the light from multiple telescopes that were never expected to do so uh, there's this satellite that we thought was dead but now there's a way that maybe engineers can save it to have it still do some science those are the kinds of stories that i just i just love and will every time i see them i i jump on them right away no there's definitely sound like very interesting stories i mean there's a reason why you know they probably pique your interest very interesting but i also wanted to know on a similar topic which type of uh, medium does your audience interact the most with like does is it the, the newsletters the new uh, the articles or is it youtube videos or maybe podcasts what what does it seem like the audience you know interacts with the most i don't really know um like like my job like like we definitely maintain the website and the new so you know the website maybe gets two to three million people a month and then the newsletter goes out to fifty thousand people and then the podcast gets about say three hundred thousand people listening every month and then the youtube channel has two hundred and eighty thousand people following it and then the instagram channel has two hundred thousand people on it and twitter has three hundred thousand people following it and like my job is to try to be where people want to consume the information so i don't really think about the engagement in that way i would say probably the youtube audience is the one that is most engaged in a communication back and forth with me um but i don't really yeah i sort of just try to be all places as much as i can past years uh like did you see an increase or a decrease in the you know in the interest uh, of the general population in astronomy oh it's going up and up and up and up and up yeah yeah we're absolutely at the most the highest interest level in space and astronomy that's ever been uh in fact it was you know when i started it was not a very popular thing 
and and it has become very popular. I think NASA has done an, an incredible job of popularizing the work that yeah. they're doing. You know, they have these spacecraft and they're on other planets and they're taking pictures and people are, it's hard. Like who hates mm. space? It's like hating puppies, right? Hmm. So everyone kind of loves space. <laughs> and then of course the, the work that Elon Musk and SpaceX has been doing to help mm -hmm. sort of bring forth that science fiction future that we were all hoping to see has definitely been raising interest and now uh it, there's there's i mean there are many communicators out there who are doing much better than me who have shown up much right. more recently uh, maybe because they are going after the stuff that people are interested in you know i don't spend a lot of time talking about spacex um so so maybe that's my problem but uh so but yeah no i've i've never seen a level of excitement and interest in space astronomy as i have now yeah i, I just wanted to agree with you that also part of it is related to you know the outreach activities that many people around the world are doing uh, it could be in a classroom it could be in a school in a town on the internet whatever but but yeah also maybe some of the hollywood movies uh, that we have out there I, I, I would say less i would say more about the outreach uh -huh. that that because of the internet nasa esa eso mm. all the universities they can reach their audiences directly they can make videos yeah. they can put them on youtube they can they can share cool photos taken by their astronauts on mm. instagram of like course. like they have the direct line now to everybody to share the information that they find exciting and it, it makes it tricky for us as journalists to try and find stories that are not already instantly being shared by NASA because mm. they've got the source. They're the ones with the rockets and the astronauts. We're the ones having to, to sort of follow up and, and try to report on stories. Yeah, I mean, they have a budget of few, I don't know how many billions of dollars every year. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, NASA's my biggest competitor. <laughs> Other than the... Uh university and your writings and your interviews like there's this podcast that you actually do um, you interview different people and so on and how long has this been going on for how long well so the the astronomy cast or the university the universe today podcast is is like a a clearing house of all of the audio related work that i do so whenever i do a an interview with somebody uh or if i'm like interviewing people for a story i'll I will post the contents of that audio onto, onto my, my podcast feed. So they, they can be fairly raw. Um, uh, but I think, I, I don't know, 10 years, 15 years. I've been, I've, I'm up to episode like 760 or something on the, on the podcast. I have no idea. Just like everything, but also like, like this interview with me, if you guys are okay with it, I'll post it on my podcast feed so people can listen to it and you can get more people of finding course. out about you. So, so there you go. Of this, course, this, of course. I mean, then, then, then you're listening to my podcast right now. <laughs> I mean, we're still taking baby steps, but uh, yeah, I mean, of course, we would love uh, for you to share Perfect. this podcast. Uh, Done. So, from all of these people, you said 700, I'm sure maybe even more on, you know, on different occasions. Like every time you meet someone or you interview or you ask a scientist or something, like is there something new that you feel you're learning every time you're seeing someone? Oh, yeah, yeah. In fact, wow. I've kind of I've run out of resources on the <laughs> Internet to answer my questions. 
you know, that I can only get so much information. Like if I see some article on like, even like an article, a new, a press release from NASA about a new discovery about black holes, they have to go through all of this explainer and preamble. And I know, you know, know it, I know it, I know it, I know it, I know it. Oh, one little nugget of the new information that I'm able to then add to my understanding of, of what's going on. But when I talk to a scientist, I can ask them all the questions that I have. And I promise you the questions that I have are the questions they've never heard before because they're all the, you know, I've, I, I understand all the stuff that they get a million questions about, but I want to know the stuff that's right at the cutting edge. And so I try to make it very accessible, but you're definitely hearing an enthusiast scratch, you know, like I'm really trying to push further into what I understand about the about this topic and so i will go to you know quite in depth into into very into quite specifics with with the researcher to really understand what it is they're working on and to answer a lot of the questions that i have about that field like a quick question like could you tell us one of your questions that go into your mind just out of curiosity oh i i can't i mean it's it's all it's okay. in the moment it depends on the topic right yeah <laughs> what people find as i talk to them they're surprised at the depth of the questions that I'm asking because I'm I'm jumping right past all of the the general introductory stuff and getting into the meat of the of the issue. So it would feel like two soccer fans talking about the latest game and they don't have to talk to each other about what soccer is. And they don't have to talk to each other about about what offside means. And they don't have to talk about how you score a goal. They are going to talk about the the what is the latest part of the story of the players or the game or the teams or the or the etc. So so that's all. That's sort of the best way that I can sort of analogize is that I'm, you know, I don't and and I think it's a it's a conversation with my audience. They're brought along as part of this story, and so they're up to speed. And so I run this simulation in my mind of where I think my audience is in understanding this material as well. And, and so I ask questions that, that I hope will inform and entertain and engage and educate them as they get to follow along the journey, but really the journeys for me, like they get to come along for the ride, but this is for me, all of this stuff, all of everything I do is for me. I see. I see that super interesting, really. Uh, like, I don't want to stick on that topic, but I really want to ask you this again about last question about this. I promise you. Do you find the answers when you ask them? Because you see, I think even the greatest scientists, knowing how mysterious the universe is, is and so on, like, I think at some point they won't have the answers. I mean, there are so many things we do not understand yet. Sure. But. I mean, you don't ask those questions like, like, you know, why is there something and not nothing? Where did the universe come from? What happens after we die? Like, these are questions that nobody knows the answers to. So you don't ask them. Like, I'm a lot more interested to know what is the specific way that you solve the problem to be able to get the x-rays to, to focus in on your detector in a way that allowed you to resolve the gas structures at the galaxy that is 2 billion light years away. Like that's the question that I want to know, not, you know, how did you use quantum uh, mechanics to be able to fine tune the results from LIGO so that you can achieve a 
eight times volume of space. Like I want to know specifically how they do these things. So no, I like, like obviously are we alone in the universe? Why is there something in that nothing? What's outside the universe on and on and on. These are fundamental questions, but nobody has the answer. And anyone who does have the answer is lying. So, so you can, you can just kind of know you talk to the person and you get a sense of what field they're operating in you bring as much knowledge as you have to the table to bear on 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 the conversation but you also have to have respect for their exhaustion at those unanswerable questions and you don't ask them because because i know that they don't know if there's aliens in the universe and and anything they would have to say about it is just a guess so so we don't have to really talk about it. Right. I mean, fair enough. But I guess also you could be interested in their opinion in the end of the day, even even though they don't have the answer. Oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I and, and I love to hear people's opinions. Like dark matter is one of my favorite questions to ask people. It's just like, right. like, obviously nobody knows what it is. But what do you think it is? What do you feel like it is? What would be a satisfying answer, an outcome? But, but I, you know, I make it really clear that no one's going to hold them to this answer. <laughs> of course. Of course, but out of all the you know guests on your podcast, and and out of all you know the people who you've spoken to, who was perhaps the most interesting guest you had, or most eye-opening, you know? Oh, there's there's too many, and in general, the guests that I find most interesting are the ones who have the least training and experience in being interviewed. So. Uh, you know, you talk to very famous science communicators who have their answers down pat. And I find their, I find the conversations a little boring. Um, and they have a, they kind of, they have, a, they've done this so many times that they know the answer that they want to give. And, and I don't, and I don't find that very fun because my audience has already gone past that, the, the level of the knowledge that, that they have to give. And so the people that I'm most interested in are the ones who have, who've like never done an interview or have done very few interviews. They're, they're well-spoken and they're charismatic speakers and they're very interesting to talk to, but they have not had time to think about how they're going to formulate an answer to this question that they've never been asked. And I fully agree with that because I, I consume, you know, podcasts all the time on YouTube. I love watching podcasts. And whenever I see, you know, the most popular science communicators uh, on podcasts, I feel like I'm listening to one, one same podcast all the time because they, yes. because yes, they have totally. all the answers. Yep. I think they've, they've been asked already all the questions, you know, they will ever like, so they have the answers ready and it's always one same answer. Sometimes even the same sentences one after another. And I, it's just at one point stops being interest. It's interesting the first time you hear it, but then not anymore. Whereas someone, someone who's being interviewed for the first time, it seems as if they are thinking out loud in front of you. They, they are, they, they, they're saying these ideas and they, they make them compete again, like they make the ideas compete against each other out loud. And, and it's, and you yeah. get their thought process. Yeah. And I love to ask them questions that they've never even thought about, or I bring in a piece of research that somebody's done in a related field and ask them about, about how that might relate to what they're working on. And the magic happens is they're like, I never even thought about that. That's so cool. I'm going to go check out that paper. I'm going to go talk to that researcher that it, you can be this connection, but you're exactly right. Like, like I think that when people see a, a podcast and they see a list of, of 
people who have been interviewed, they go, they will go towards the popular communicators, but they shouldn't. That should not be your instinct. Your instinct should be listen to the interviews with the people whose names you've never heard before. If you trust the interviewer, then the interview is going to be gold. Right. No, I mean, that I agree 100%. Like lately in the last few weeks, I've been uh, listening to Lex Friedman's podcast and he, br he brings a lot of uh, scientists I have never heard of in my life on that podcast. And I must say it's, it's unarguably the most interesting podcast for me. So like one of the most interesting I found on YouTube so far. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love Lex Friedman's podcast. I listen to most episodes as well. And, and, you know, I think, you know, my, I mean, I think he's, he's terrific. My, my only issue with, with Lex is that he's casting a much wider net. And so he's talking to people across all his interests. He's talking about people who are into, into Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and astronomy and physics and AI and robotics, etc. And so he's, he's not able to get as deep into the subject as if he was just talking to people who were specifically in say machine learning, artificial intelligence, et cetera. And so I think that's the, that's the difference is that because I focus on people in this field, I'm able to go a lot deeper and very specific, but I won't be interviewing somebody about Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, I'm curious, aside from Lex, I guess, uh, who are your favorite, let's say podcast hosts or, or, or science communicators? Um, ooh, uh, I mean, I have a bunch, um, I'm trying to think I have to look at my list. Um, it's funny. I, part of it is like, I, I try not to listen to people that are exactly in my field. So I tend, I don't listen to a lot of people who are in the space and astronomy field because I don't want it to influence my thinking on the matter. I don't want it to influence my approach, the the topics I'm picking, et cetera. So, so I actually don't listen anymore to anyone who's space in astronomy. So I, I really like recode media with Peter Kafka talking about sort of new developments in media. Um, I'm enjoying the Huberman lab, which is all about sort of neurology and uh, so science-based approach to medicine. Um, I listen to the uh, machine learning podcast, sort of trying to keep my computer science knowledge up to speed. So, um, and I listen to a bunch of Chinese uh, podcasts. So I don't, I'm, yeah, yeah. So I've, I sort of, I have definitely spent time, but it's, but I feel like I'm, I mentally check out. Like if I listen to, to science podcasts, science communicators, I kind of check out at a certain point where I just kind of go, Okay, I, I know this. I know this answer. Even when Lex Lex will have a, a you know, a Sarah Seeger, like it's amazing people who, I, who I've interviewed in the past and they're wonderful. And I'm like, yeah, I'll skip this one <laughs> just because I've, 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 I've heard them talk. I know what she's going to say. And I know that Lex is going to, I would be frustrated because Lex wouldn't go deep enough in the topics. You know, he wouldn't ask the follow on questions that I would like asked. And so I skipped them. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, his, his podcast is very good, but it's also very, I guess, surface level because of the wide audience, right? But I, I want to change the topic a bit from podcasts. I want to ask you about your opinion on SpaceX. Like, what, 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 was, what were your thoughts the first time you heard about it? And like, did it meet your expectations over the years? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, SpaceX has been, has been a lot of fun watching the rise of an entirely new launch platform in the midst of a fairly, you know, a duopoly, a, an oligopoly of, of big launch providers to see this plucky upstart come along and be able to revolutionize the way space flight happens and the potential for what's going to happen in the future. Yeah, it's been, it's been very exciting. Uh, Fraser, what about, uh, have you heard of the uh, UAE's HOPES mission to Mars? Yeah, yeah. What, what do you think of that? Like, you see, mm -hmm, of course. in this part of the world, have you been in the Middle East before? Have you visited? Uh, yes. Yeah, I've been, I've been to Jordan, um, Israel, uh, that area. Have you been in Dubai or? No, I haven't been to Dubai yet. No, no. You haven't. Okay, no. okay. Well, uh, maybe you see on the news, like you follow up, but you know, UAE is trying really to uh, uh, to explore space, to take one step further, especially in this part of the world. If I'm sure you know about the history of astronomy, and when you look at stars, and you know, you follow up with the names of the star, the, the history of how we how they were actually named, you will realize that many of the stars actually have ancient Arabic uh, names, and this is exactly what you know the UAE is trying to do. They, you know, it's trying to put the UAE and maybe the Middle East, the Arabs, back on the map of space exploration, given all of the problems and the insecurity and, you know, all the mess that is happening in some countries here. So, um, uh, so everyone was very excited about, about, about the HOPS mission. And just, I think it was two weeks ago, we had uh, a public talk here at NYU where they were, um, you know, there was a scientist from the UAE Space Agency telling us more and you know telling the audience more about that mission so i just want to say like as i want to ask you what did you think of that mission were you like surprised or like what uae and mars and how is this all connected well i wasn't i mean i wasn't surprised i mean you know the uae has a lot of money and and can make it a priority and can kind of make anything they want happen they build they build islands and tall buildings and tall hotels so um and and I think that, I mean, I love that there's more and more space light happening, not just in the UAE. I mean, I think one of them, I mean, look at what India is doing with their mom mission to Mars, their, their incredible work with, with, the, with the, the missions they sent to the moon, the Chandra Sikar missions. They discovered, they're the ones who discovered water on the moon, which is incredible. Uh, and then the Chinese, of course, are doing a tremendous amount in, in exploring the moon. They've sent a mission to Mars. They've got a plan to send a mission to an asteroid. And the Koreans have recently uh, started to, they tried to launch their first rocket. It failed, but they got most of the way there. And so I love the idea that many different nations are are now accessing space and and going for going the exploration route to send missions with the expertise that they're trying to build and and as you can see like the like the indians have gotten very good at 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 searching for water and carrying this expertise from the moon to mars and eventually it'll be across the solar system. And, and I love that as a, you know, in Canada, we don't launch any rockets, but we build a lot of robotic arms. And so we become specialized in, in robotics as it relates to, to missions. And, I, and I've, I find that really exciting. So the other thing that I like the UA is doing is doing a lot of thinking about 
about human habitation in extreme environments like Mars. You know, they have, people have plans to build a Mars city and there's lots of really interesting architecture and, and engineering challenges that are being overcome and developed. Uh, so it's a, it's, it's a great time because when you see a lot of nations able to participate, then you feel like you're no longer beholden to just one. We, we don't have to just rely on NASA. I could have Universe Today never talk about NASA and it would still be filled with stories, which is incredible, really exciting. Yeah, so it's so it's a great it's a great time and and yeah everything the UA is doing is wonderful. Uh, I look forward to anyone who wants to try and participate in space exploration is welcome in my mind. Listening to what you have said, I think we're living in such an exciting time in in space exploration. After it has been kind of slow, like in the past, I would say twenty years, uh, things happened in the past twenty years, but n not as much. I would say after we landed on the moon. I think you'd be surprised how much yeah, has yeah. happened. Like, like I could run, I could run a list. I could start now, and we could go until the end I'm of sure. this podcast of me listing off the incredible and interesting things that have happened over the last twenty years. But things are going to accelerate. I'm, I'm even pretty more. sure. I'm pretty sure, and we we all look forward uh, for that. Really, uh, Fraser. Uh, like what are your future plans in the upcoming years you have you know anything new happening any new project no plans just be uh, do what you you've been doing i have no plans no plans yeah yeah i i find that that it's most useful for me to just kind of live day to day and and i don't really have any big plans for you know i have plans personal plans like we're building a new house so i have the house <laughs> finished that requires okay. a certain amount of planning. You know, I, I want to build a greenhouse. Um, awesome. But for for my work with Universe Today, no, I I like I just like I stay nimble. I I just adapt to whatever shows up, what stories, what what things I think are important, interesting, and try to communicate them the best way that I can. Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much, Fraser. It was a pleasure having you here today, and I would like to thank our listeners for tuning with us today. Thank you so much. Spaced out.